From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. When you think of Green Bay, Wisconsin, what do you think of? It could be cheese, or it might be beer, but more likely, it's the Green Bay Packers and the sounds of cheering fans rooting for their team on the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. What you probably wouldn't expect to hear is this. That's a clip from the American International Czech-Slovak Voice Competition, which is an international opera competition hosted in Green Bay, Wisconsin, every other year. So how does an event like this end up in a relatively small city in the Midwest? Well, it's in no small part thanks to Sharon Resch, my guest on today's episode. Sharon started her journey in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where she became a professional dancer and joined the Chicago Opera Ballet at age 17. Her dancing career took her to Chicago, then Broadway, and eventually to Hollywood. She also found time to pursue a master's degree in mathematics, and at one point, she was working on the Gemini Missile Project during the day and dancing in the ballet at night. She now has a second career dedicated to philanthropy, where she spends her time and energy coordinating the opera competition, as well as supporting the arts and women-focused initiatives across the state of Wisconsin. On this episode, you'll hear valuable insight from Sharon on the intimate connection between art, science, and innovation, the power of positive thinking to attract opportunities and pursue the impossible, and why she is so passionate about advancing gender equity in education and the workplace. John Wooden once said, things turn out best for the people who make the best of the way things turn out. And Sharon may be the person that most embodies this quote as she has always made the best out of whatever opportunities she discovered along her journey. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. Sharon, thank you for being here today and welcome to Innovators on Tap. Well, thank you for inviting me. I want to start with kind of a fun question. We were doing some research, and I understand that you've been called the meatloaf lady. Can you tell us where that nickname comes from? Uh, The meatloaf ladies uh, started about 20 years ago, and it was a bunch of girlfriends, and I mentioned to some of them, we should be doing something for society. How about in Green Bay, Wisconsin, go to the homeless shelter and make meatloaf for the people that need dinner. Maybe we should have a schedule, like 
we'll ask them at what day they want the meatloaf, and they we decided the uh, third Wednesday of every month. And now we have a, a group of about 20 ladies. You know, one of the things I've learned in, in meeting a lot of very interesting people is that how people grow up and those early experiences in their childhood shape a lot about who they become later on. I know you grew up in Minneapolis. Right. How do you think that experience kind of shaped some of your beliefs and some of the things you've carried with you? A lot. My parents were both from the Czech Republic, and uh, I grew up in a family where my father was always singing, and my mother kind of ran the household and did all the cooking. But it was a very happy place, and uh, they used to take me to Czech dances where we do the shadish on Saturday night with Czech music and the polka. And uh, so I had a happy childhood with lots of music, and they started me in dance at a young age because I used to go to those dances. And uh, I was very lucky to live in Minneapolis because we had two people from the Ballet Bruce de Monte Carlo teaching ballet there. And uh, I went to class uh, every Saturday. And then uh, because my parents couldn't afford to send me more times than twice a, twice a week, uh, I would teach the beginners at the ballet school on Saturdays so I wouldn't have to pay for one of my classes. So that turned out great. So at 17, I think you joined this professional dance troupe. The Chicago Opera Ballet Company. That's not a typical path for most people growing up in Minneapolis. What led you down this path? Sounds very strange, but in the summer months in Minneapolis, they had a show called the Aqua Follies, and a ballet mistress from the Chicago Opera Ballet brought all the dancers from Chicago. But I auditioned uh, with several other people, and they chose me to represent Minneapolis. Once she, she said, you need more training, but you're going to have to go to Chicago. And uh, so I went to Chicago and lived at the Three Arts Club that summer. And then I did, thought Chicago was too big for me, so I came home and went to the University of Minnesota the next year. But I kind of grew up then. And uh, I got a call, come back, you're hired for the Chicago Opera Ballet. So you went for the summer, and after your three months, you kind of decide I'm going back to Minneapolis. Another year later, you get this chance again. So you make a decision to kind of take the risk the second time. What, it was really that, was. Did it feel risky to you at the time? What were you thinking? I mean, No, I couldn't wait to get there. <laughs> I, was, I didn't even think of the pros and cons, or maybe they wouldn't like me. Or what, I didn't have that in me. I just knew I wanted to do it. So I had a touring experience all over the United States for the next season. Then I decided, I think I want to go to New York because the few people that were in the company had been in New York and they said, it's great. Why don't you come to New York too? So I had two roommates and we went to New York and I uh, auditioned. Anna White, the choreographer, said, hold her back. We'll have her stay. And then uh, I got into the original Music Man. <laughs> so... <laughs> Were you expecting this to work out, or were you just kind of there, I'm just going to try it and see what happens? I mean, that's a pretty... No, I was, I was, I said, I can't go home. What would I do? I'd have to uh, maybe go back to the University of Minnesota. 
And my mother wanted me to come home and work on Lake Street at the Walgreens <laughs> or something. And I said, no, no, I can't do that. So uh, it did work out. And then I took, I decided I've got to get, go back to school though. So I went to, uh, I went with the, uh, the music man to Chicago with the touring company because they were there for over a year. And I went to Illinois Institute of Technology. So my understanding, yeah, so that's what I wanted to talk about that. So my understanding is you're in this touring ballet company, you go back to Chicago, so you're a professional dancer, and you decide at the same time you're going to study math at IIT. It was great for me because I understood math. It was easy for me, and I went to school every morning and danced in the show at night, and... uh, (laughs) They thought I dressed a little strange. I had ballet tights on. At that time, people didn't wear ballet tights to school, uh, but I did. And then I'd take a ballet class, and then I would go to the same restaurant that was near the ballet school and then walk to the Schubert Theater and do 76 trombone, run home, (laughs) study a little, go back to school. I did that for a whole year. So you're, you're studying math. You're in the ballet. At the end of that time at IIT, what did you choose next? What happened next? Well, I I still had another. I thought the company would leave, but we stayed in we stayed at in Chicago. So I had another six months there, which was perfect. Then I decided I would go back to New York, and I heard about a show by Rodgers and Hammerstein called Flower Drum Song. But the reason I auditioned uh, was that I heard it was coming back to Chicago, so I could go back to school. So I went to audition, and they needed a ballet dancer. So I did the ballet at the opening of the second act. And when, sure enough, after three months in New York, they went back to Chicago for another year because <laughs> I heard that that's what they were going to do. So I went back again. <laughs> so you were using ballet as a way to get back to Chicago so you could keep studying. Right. So it turned out great that for me. But I found out that if I had wanted to work on a master's degree, I would have to um, w- get another a, a job on campus or something else. And Armour Research was there at the time. Armour Research did a lot of work for the Gemini Missile Hand. So I went over there and said I would like to... Uh, I'm working on my master's in math, and I had good grades. And they said, well, we could use someone over here. So it happened to be that your job coincided with the run of the show in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So what happens at the end of that? When the show ends in Chicago, what do you go do next? I like Chicago a lot, so I stayed in Chicago. And I took a lot of jobs, uh, photography jobs at the time uh, for commercials. And I met uh, my first husband, who has passed away, but um, there, and he wrote a lot of commercials. I, uh, we moved to California and then I started doing a lot of television. I did the Baryshnikov special as a dancer because the choreographer knew me from New York (laughs) and my husband wrote all the music. So that turned out great. But after that, my husband at that time was writing a concerto. He didn't like his work because he wanted to be in classical music and he really resented having to work doing commercials. So he became very depressed and we parted because uh, 
he would be in his room alone a lot. So that was difficult. And we got a divorce, and I went to my high school reunion in Minneapolis and ran into Dick Resch. <laughs> so how long had it been? So you saw each other in high school, mm-hmm. and then you hadn't seen him again until that reunion. How many years later is that? It was uh, 20 years. Wow. Wow. 20-year that- reunion. And we've been together now, 35 years. That's how old I am. So I'm curious, you know, you had this really interesting career of being really passionate about pursuing math and a master's degree and working on a part of the missile program, and yet you're a dancer. When you're doing those two very different things, was one of them more of a job and one of them more of a passion, or were you equally passionate about the both I of them? I think I was equally passionate at that time, and it was like um, the right brain was sort of a catalyst for the left to keep going, <laughs> and uh, it was enlightening. And I love being in that world, but it kept the other one going, and I love them both. So during that time, what were kind of the best things you took away from that experience, and what are some of the lessons you learned We said, wow, I did that, and now I know I don't want to do that anymore? Well, I would say some of the very best things. See, I choose the best things first. <laughs> uh the best things were being able to be in the in the world of music and and it was joyful to me very joyful and i was always positive and optimistic about uh my world every day when i got up in the morning i said god this is a great day and i see that in the business world that's not so prevalent I see people that don't wake up so happy. And uh, I dislike the world of positivity and happiness and joyfulness. That's where I want to be all the time. It appears to me in our short conversation, you don't seem very afraid of what might go wrong. You see what could go right. You're absolutely right. I I I never think about the negativity of anything. (laughs) I'd say, let's go for it. And uh, I think we can do it. We'll find a way. And we just go down different alleyways for everything until you find the right person that can help you. Most people in their lives find it easy to get stuck. Why is it you don't think you get stuck as easily as others? connectivity, uh, not afraid to ask other people, what do you think about this? Because I can't, I don't know, uh, but maybe you would know the answer to my problem. Or I, I ask a lot of innovative people what they would do in a situation like I am in. And uh, it works. <laughs> so talking about innovation, you, you have a quote and you said, there's so, just something about dance. You're in your alpha waves immediately. You're creative and you're far away physically and mentally in another world, which is great. And you've described something that I think is really important to innovation, which is this ability to really focus deeply on a problem at hand. Do you think that ability is something that you learned or do you think you're just kind of born with it? It's probably 50-50. I was kind of born with it, definitely, because I came from a very positive, especially my father. Uh, he was he was so positive, and there was never a no. I'd say I'd want to, I'd love to ice skate this winter, Daddy, but I don't have a 
I can't walk all the way to the park. I'm like six years old. He said, well, flood the backyard. You'll ice skate in the backyard. Okay. And he always had an answer. So I figured, well, he always had an answer. I, I'm kind of like him. <laughs> sure. And I want to I want to transition a little bit because I know at some point you moved back, you're living in Green Bay, and you really have kind of built a second career through your leadership and starting projects and philanthropy. And I think you said, I sleep better at night knowing I've made a little dent in other people's big problems. And you know, I've had a chance to get involved in some interesting projects over the last few years in my retirement. And what I've noticed is that for me, being someone who started a technology company, I like to be that early stage investor. I'm kind of like the venture capitalist. Mm-hmm. And then once it gets going, let other people run with it. Right. I'm on to the next one. But yet I've also met lots of people who are like, you know, I want to make sure it works first and then I'll invest a little mm-hmm. bit more. Which way do you look at things? Do you like to be early or do you like to make sure things are working more? Because I think there's really two different ways to think about it. I like to do my homework, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> if you want to call it that. I would like to know something about the project before I really get involved, because once I get involved, I like to do it wholeheartedly. So one of the things that's really important here at Marquette that Dr. Rapello has been very focused on is really changing the face of engineering. So that really making it more available to men and women and people of color and really expanding so that the engineers look like our communities. What advice or wisdom do you have for them as they think about kind of coming into this world that's been frankly dominated by mostly men over the last 50 years? Well, first of all, you have to come in as an equal. (laughs) You have to come in and say, uh, my ideas, my creativity is just as important uh, to the man sitting next to me or the woman sitting next to me. Every one of us at this table has something to say, and that's the most important thing. And I can't, because I'm a woman, think that my idea is less because the man sitting next to me uh, is a man. That's no reason. <laughs> and so I think it's very important that you have, um, that you believe in yourself. It's pretty apparent from your story and the amazing things you've done. You've believed in yourself for a long time. You've taken a lot of risks. How do we create that environment in young people today? So how do we help them discover that confidence in themselves? What do you think about that? We always used to say it all starts with parenting, but then we're not all so blessed. And I think that uh, even in sports, the coaches and everyone do a lot of parenting now. And that's going to have to be with engineering. We're going to need knowledgeable people that can parent a lot of these people that we know have talent, but they just can't. Uh, they they don't believe it themselves. They need a coach, a supporter. Yeah, I think what you're describing is the role that you and I both had growing up with our parents at home right. is they create an environment, they create certain experiences and expectations, right. and so you're actually learning, right? You, that confidence is not just accidental, right? They're no. putting you in situations to create it, and so we have to essentially find a way to do that for kids that maybe don't have those two parents at home to make that happen for right. them. So if we were sitting here today with a group of young students who are just thinking about starting their careers, so they're getting ready to graduate, Mm -hmm. 
What would be the couple pieces of wisdom you'd share with them as they start out on their life journey? Well, I would say you probably majored in one particular thing, but don't have blinders on. If you go to apply for a job and it isn't exactly what you want or what you envision yourself being, you probably wanted to see yourself as the CEO of a company or something, you have to take any uh, all opportunities to the right and the left and You'll find your way to being CEO, maybe, but you'll have a chance to try everything. Open all the doors, because you never know when you major in something if that's where you're going to find yourself years later. Don't say no to an opportunity, ever. Even if it doesn't seem like your field, don't say no to any opportunity because that makes you a very diversified person and you never know where you're going to end up. (laughs) That is great advice. Um, I really appreciate you taking time to tell us your story. It is an amazing one. And I think just your, your sense of not being afraid to try things and go for it. I think if people just hear that and realize sometimes you just go for it and and not worry about what happens. You've done such amazing things. You've had this incredible career. And I just, I hope people hear that in your story and take that and motivates them to do some amazing things. So thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Appreciate it. Thanks to Sharon Resch for joining me on Innovators on Tap to discuss dance, science, and philanthropy. Sharon's story can tell us a lot about innovation and the belief that innovators must have that anything is possible. To quote Sharon, I never think about the negativity of anything. I say, let's go for it. And I think we can do it. We will find a way. If you found value in this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues because I think we all know of things that could use some innovative thinking. Please feel free to contact us through our website at innovatorsontap.com. We are always open to new ideas or critical feedback. My belief as an innovator is anything you do today can be done better tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Let's go change the world.